The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. So tonight and this uh, weekend, we are beginning a brand new series together. And uh, the series actually, um, this series is going to be a series that's very personal to me. Um, because throughout the series, we're going to be talking about this idea that God is greater. Uh, God is greater than whatever it is that we're facing, um, that God is greater than whatever our circumstances are, that God really is greater, and the challenge that it can be sometimes to believe that that's actually true, even when life is doing its absolute best to try to convince you otherwise. And so for the next couple of weeks that we are together, um, we are going to be addressing, we're going to spend some time addressing two questions that uh, every single one of us have asked at some point in our life, which are these two questions right here. Why is God allowing this, and am I going to make it through it? So what do you do when you find yourself in, this, in a series of circumstances, and you know that there's actually nothing that you can actually do? What do you do when you find yourself in a season of life when there is things going on that you know there is nothing that you can change? You want to believe that God is actually good, but everything in life around you is doing its best to tell you the exact opposite. Because as all of us know, right, there are problems that you can solve, but there are in life some unsolvable problems. There are tensions that you can manage, but there are some tensions which are unmanageable. And the truth is, at some point in your life, just like at some point in my life, and the truth is for many of us, at more than one point in our lives, we're going to come face to face with a set of circumstances or a season of life when it is what it is, and it looks like that that's just the way that it is. Now, as I said, this is a very personal kind of subject for me because the truth is, for me in the course of my own life, there have been a number of different times when those two questions have been my question. One of them was back in 2002. Uh, my wife, Autumn, and I, we were in our early 30s at that point, and uh, we had just moved into our brand new home. And we had a couple of little kids running around. Um, my one son, Nathan, was almost two. My older son, Joe, was almost four. And life was moving very quickly. I was the director of student ministries here at Faith. I had been in that position for about a year. And it was a really exciting time for our family. Autumn and I liked being active, and so being busy was a good thing. Um, and between the student ministry and her practice and having a couple of toddlers running around the house, um, there was more than enough to do. There was always plenty of excitement going on. And the truth is, Autumn was often tired. That was to be expected, right? She was a young mom. She had two very active boys. And the truth is, she was married to a husband who only knew how to do life in two ways, fast and faster. But it was in 2002 that something began to change. What used to be tiredness became exhaustion. Fatigue turned into pain. We knew that what Autumn needed was just more rest. We knew what she needed was to get more sleep, and then everything would be better. But it wasn't. We knew after a couple of weeks that certainly Autumn would be better, but she wasn't. 
We knew that summer was coming in just a couple of months, and we knew by summer certainly she would be better, but she wasn't. People would stop me and say, did you take her to the doctor? And I was like, yeah, of course I took her to the doctor. And they would say, which one? All of them. I've taken her to all of them. Every doctor you can think of, I've been there. I've been to every hospital in our area. 2002 became 2003. Things got worse. Exhaustion and fatigue and pain became an almost total loss of physical ability. Autumn couldn't remember the conversations that we had. She couldn't remember the events in our own life. She couldn't remember the events in our kids' lives. 2003 became 2004. She couldn't walk anymore. She had to be carried, literally, from the bed to the couch. And then at the end of the day, back to the bed again. She couldn't take care of herself, much less our now three-year-old and six-year-old sons. Instead, she needed someone to care for her continuously. And after what was not even ten years of marriage, the two of us started to talk and plan for a funeral. God, why are you allowing this? Will I? Will she? Will we? Will we make it through? I had more questions than I had answers. And the answers that I did have, I did not like at all. Now, maybe for you, it's not a health issue. Maybe for you, it's a professional one. Maybe it's a financial issue. Your job, your career hasn't turned out the way that you expected it to be. The job that you trained for just doesn't exist anymore. The, the company that you spent a lifetime working for, they just don't exist anymore. And so now to try to go back to school or to learn something brand new at your age, I mean, how in the world is that supposed to work? For many of us, these two questions are going to come in the context of our relationships, Maybe you think about your marriage, and it's not a great marriage. It's not a perfect marriage, right? Neither of you wants a divorce, but neither of you is really willing to change either. Or maybe for you, it's with your kids. And, and you've been telling your kids since they got to high school, listen, these grades count, these grades count, these grades count. And now your kids, they're almost all the way through high school, and they kind of look at you and say, hey, you know what? I think these grades kind of count. And you're like, yeah. That's what I've been telling you, right? And now you look at them and, and, and you know they're not going to be able to go to the school that you wanted them to go to. They're, they're not going to have the options that you wanted them to have. And you're kind of looking off in the future and you're seeing that there are no easy answers on the horizon. There is no just in a couple of days. There is no just in a couple of weeks. There is just the future. This is your reality. This is just the way that it is. See, I don't know what your specific situation or circumstances of life are, but for all of us, every single one of us, at some point in our lives, we all come to those places in our life that in the context of this series together over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking and, and calling and referring to as a greater than kind of a moment. Because it's in those moments especially that we want to believe that God is greater than whatever it is that we are facing in our lives. But life 
is doing its best to convince us otherwise. Now, you certainly have some options, right? Because there are always some options. The hard part is sometimes the options that we have just actually make the situation that we're in worse, right? Because how do you solve loneliness? You solve loneliness by actually going out and doing something that's going to end up creating more loneliness than you had in the first place. There are some situations, there are some circumstances, there are some seasons of life that if you try to make better, there are some problems that if you try to solve, you actually end up creating more problems for yourself. And so what are you going to do? Right? You can run. You don't want to run. You, 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 can, you, you can give up on your kids. You don't want to give up on your kids. Right? You can abandon your family. You don't want to abandon your family. You can quit. You don't want to quit. You, you can drink yourself into oblivion, but you know, again, it's only temporary, and all that's going to do is end up creating more problems. And see, it's in these kind of moments, it's in these greater than kind of moments that all of us find ourselves in at some point in life where it is so easy to get angry, isn't it? It is so easy for us to be resentful. And it is so incredibly easy for us to compare because the truth is every single one of us, we all have some picture of what we think the future is supposed to be, don't we? What romance is supposed to look like, what financial stability is supposed to look like, what family is supposed to look like. And so when we find ourselves in the midst of one of these greater than kind of circumstances and, and, and you understand and you realize that the future is just not going to be what you want it to be, what are you supposed to do? See, it's in these seasons of life especially, it is so easy for us to come to some very, very bad conclusions and for us to start believing some very dangerous lies. And so for the next several weeks together, we're going to kind of jump in with both feet into this very happy kind of a subject, right? And we're going to talk about this for a little bit because the reason why, and again, the reason why we're doing this series is because if you are a follower of Jesus, right, if you're here tonight and you are a follower of Jesus, then at some point, this has been your story. Because at some point in time and in life, this is you, right? And in this moment, this is you. And in this moment, either you are a follower of Jesus or you're not. Either life is good for you in this moment or it's not, and it doesn't really matter. But at some point in your life, if you are a follower of Jesus right now, this is you. And at some point, the Holy Spirit, he kind of breaks into your life, and he does what only he can do. He creates faith in your heart. And you actually begin to experience the amazing grace of Jesus Christ. You experience the, the, the life-changing forgiveness of Jesus Christ. You experience the love of Jesus in a way that is absolutely incredible. And, and, and in this moment, when you go to church, right, it's like every sermon is for you. Every song is your song. Every prayer that you pray, it feels like God answers that prayer immediately. In fact, God not only answers the prayer, he gives you more. And life is good, and life is amazing, and God is incredible. And over time, life just happens. And you go to church, and the sermon, it's not bad. Yeah, it's fine, right? 
just wasn't for me, I guess. The songs, it's not, not my songs, really. They don't really, don't really speak to me. You pray, it doesn't really feel like anything happens. Maybe the opposite happens. And then, something really bad happens. Your wife gets sick. She doesn't get better. Your son gets sick. He doesn't get better. The grandparent that you've been praying for for months passes away. The doctor says, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. We've done everything we can do. The person that you thought was the one turns out to be a cheater. The person that you thought you were going to spend the rest of your life with leaves. And when this happens to every single one of us, what we experience in this moment is a crisis of faith, right? And we begin to ask ourselves and we say things to ourselves like, okay, God, why am I here? God, why are you actually allowing this to happen? God, do you even know what is happening to me right now? God, are you going to get me through this somehow? And see, it's at this point, it's at this moment, it's at this greater than kind of a moment when most of us come to the conclusion, when we're right here in life, that there really are about two options that we have going forward. There's only really one, one of two choices that we have to choose from. The first, unfortunately, is what a lot of really good people with a lot of really good intentions do. And they start to pretend. And they start to deny the bad. And say, you know what, it's really, you know, what's happened to me doesn't matter. And they, they pretend like they're back up here. They pretend like what's happening to them isn't really real. And they say, oh, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's fine. And they just deny, deny, and deny. The second option is we say to ourselves, okay, if I'm here and I'm not here, then this must mean that God isn't real, that God isn't here. And so you opt out and you go back here. And then you say things like, well, I tried church and it didn't work for me. I tried God and he, he didn't work for me. I tried Jesus and he didn't work for me. And so I'm out, I'm done, I'm, I'm finished. Now, the good news, if you're here tonight and you are a follower of Jesus, is that there are not only two options. That there is actually a third option. And the good news, if you are a follower of Jesus, is that the scriptures, they speak directly to this. And if you are here tonight and you are not a follower of Jesus, then the good news for you is this. The scriptures speak directly to this third option. And see, so you might be here tonight and you might be as mad at God as you have ever been in your entire life. In fact, you're not even sure that there really is a God, but you keep yelling at him anyway. If that's you, then the only thing that I want to say tonight is that you just keep right on yelling and don't stop. 
Because there is nothing that you are going to say to God that I haven't already said to God. And I promise you, he can take it. See, the third option is to do something called lamenting. Now, we don't know that word. We're not familiar with that word. But the word lament literally means to cry out to a God who cares. It's to wrestle with God. It's to struggle with God. It's to say to God, God, I don't understand. God, I'm scared. God, I'm angry. God, I'm hurt. God, I'm confused. And when you do this, when you cry out to God, when you wrestle with God, when you lament to God, does life magically get better? No. No, sometimes life actually gets worse. And when life gets worse in this moment, the option that you are left with is not the option that you want. It's the option that seems absolutely ridiculous in the moment. But it is the option that James tells us about in the very beginning of his book when he writes to us in, first James, in James chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, and he tells us to consider it pure joy. How ridiculous is that? Consider it pure joy, my friends, brothers and sisters, when you suffer trials of many kinds, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces something. It produces perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work. So that you, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. See, the way to develop and experience true intimacy with God is not by trying to live on the mountaintop with God. It's actually to experience his faithfulness in the valley below, even when it is the valley of the shadow of death. Because this is my story. And I know that for many of you that are here tonight, this is your story as well. And the reason why, the reason why I can tell you all this, the reason why I can stand up here and and, and tell you that as we begin this series together this weekend, the reason I can say that God truly is greater than whatever it is that you're going to experience in life, that God is greater than whatever circumstances you experience in life, is because the question that every single one of us asks as we are kind of sliding off the edge of the mountain into the valley below, somewhere along the way, we ask ourselves the question, okay, where is God in all of this? And so let me just tell you tonight, I want to just give you a very specific truth, and then I just want to take a couple of moments and try to illustrate that with you, not only tonight, but we'll do this over the course of the next several weeks together. The bottom line and the truth is simply this. God's silence does not equate to his absence. It does not mean that he does not care, and it does not mean that God is angry with you. Now, the whole reason I can actually stand up here and tell you that today, the reason I can say that with a straight face, the reason I can say that without any qualification whatsoever The reason why I can make that kind of an audacious statement to you is because of one of the most significant statements that has ever been made in the course of human history, much less the scriptures. 
When the Apostle John tells us that God, he so loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. See, the whole reason I know that God's absence, that God's silence is not absence, the reason I know that God is aware that he does care, and the reason I know that God is not angry with you is because God actually poured out his anger at sin on his son on the cross. And so when he sent Jesus to die on the cross for you, he settled once and for all whether or not he cares about what you're going through. He settled once and for all whether or not he is concerned about your life. And so let me just tell you how I personally kind of deal with this when I find myself in these kind of greater than moments. Because I have my dark moments in life just like you do. I have my fears and my questions just like you do. And the reason I tell you all that is because I want you to know, when I stand up here on a weekend, I'm not pretending with you. I'm not trying to get you to believe that I have some kind of this perfect, wrinkle-free life. Right? That's not the kind of person that I am. That's certainly not the kind of pastor that I want to be. And so when I find myself in these kind of dark moments, these greater than moments, one of the very first things that I do is I actually look for the scriptures and I look to see if there's anybody in here who has ever faced a similar circumstance or situation that I am facing in that moment. Because if, it, if there is, if there is someone in here who has faced what I face, if there's someone in here who's wrestled with the same fears and questions that I wrestle with, then that means that I am not alone. And it means that I am not the first. And if I can find somebody in here that had the same questions and the same fears that I have had, then that means it really is possible to be a follower of Jesus and still have doubts. That means it's actually possible to be a follower of Jesus and have a life or parts of life or seasons of life where it feels like or it seems like you don't understand what God is doing. Because the very same God who is faithful to these people in here, that God is going to be faithful to you. Because this is the record of the Savior who is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. And so tonight, very quickly, as we kind of wrap up our time together this evening, I want to take you into a very short story that maybe you're familiar with, maybe you're not familiar with. But it's the story of a person, it's the story of a man that Jesus knew, a man that Jesus loved, and a man that found himself asking the very same kinds of questions that maybe you are here asking this evening. God, where are you? God, do you love me? God, do you know what's happening to me right now? God, have you forgotten about me? Take out your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 11. If you're using one of those Bibles in front of you or behind you, you can find this on page 1,512. In Matthew chapter 11, what we read is the account of of a very familiar man, a man by the name of John the Baptist. And one of the things that you should know about John the Baptist is that he wasn't actually a Baptist. That was kind of a nickname that John was given uh, because he was always out baptizing a bunch of people. And so one day Jesus is near the city of Galilee. He's there by himself because he's just sent his own disciples out to go preach and teach in his name. 
And a group of another guys of another guys, they actually walk up to Jesus, they find Jesus, and they say to Jesus, "Hey, we've got a question for you. We've got a question for you. We're disciples of John the Baptist, right? Jesus, just like you have disciples, John, he's got disciples also. And John, he sent us to ask you this question in Matthew chapter 11, verse two, which is, "Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect somebody else?" In other words, Jesus, are you really Jesus? Are you really the Messiah? Jesus, that's what our leader, that's what John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, that's what he wants us to ask you. And yeah, Jesus, we know it's a little bit ironic that he's called John the Baptizer because he wants us to ask you this question even though he's been baptizing and pointing all these people to you specifically. But still, he's told us to come here and ask you this question. So we're asking you, Jesus, are you really the one that we've been waiting for? Now, if you've heard this story before, if you know this story, why is it that John couldn't ask Jesus this question himself? Where is John right now? He's in prison, isn't he? John the Baptist is in prison because John started speaking very publicly about the king a man by the name of Herod, and the king's wife, a woman by the name of Herodias, who before she was the king's wife was the king's niece. Now, that's just not right today, right? And so back in Jesus' day, in the first century, that was really not okay. And so apparently what John was doing as he was going out and talking about sin to people is he was using Herod and Herodias as his number one examples. Well, Herod thinks that's all kind of funny. Herodias, she doesn't think it's so funny. And so Herodias gets her uncle-slash-husband to get, have John locked up and thrown into a dungeon someplace. And so John is just kind of sitting there, left to rot, and time goes by, and time goes by, and more time goes by. And so John begins to experience the exact same thing that you and I experience when things are bad, and time goes by, and nothing changes. John begins to have doubt. Now, here's the interesting thing. Jesus absolutely loved John the Baptist. In fact, if you know the story, you actually know that at the beginning, right, nobody knew who Jesus was, but everybody actually knew who John the Baptist was. And one day, John the Baptist sees Jesus. He's got a crowd of people with him out by the Jordan River. He's been baptizing all of them. He sees Jesus coming, and he says to the crowd, Hey, listen, I know you've been following me, but you need to start following that guy. Because I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. In fact, that is the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sin of the world. It's John the Baptist who actually points people to Jesus. In fact, Jesus even goes and says this about John the Baptist. He says this in Matthew. I tell you the truth. Among those born of women, right, which would be all of us, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Now, how would you like Jesus to say that about you? Basically, what Jesus is saying is John the Baptist is the greatest person on the planet. That's what Jesus thought about John the Baptist. But right now, John the Baptist isn't quite so sure what it is that he thinks about Jesus. And here's why. Because when Jesus first heard 
Right? Matthew tells us when Jesus first heard that John was in prison, what do you think that Jesus does? Does he arrange to go down and visit him? Does he maybe put together a care package from all the leftover bread and fish that they seem to have lying around all the time? Does he send a group of his disciples down to to tell John, hey, listen, don't worry, I'm going to call my father tonight and have him send a bunch of angels to come and bust you out, don't worry, it'll all be fine? No. What do you think Jesus, the Son of God, does when the guy that proclaimed that Jesus was the Savior of the world, the guy that Jesus himself thinks is the greatest person on earth, what is it that Jesus does when he hears that John the Baptist is in prison? Matthew actually tells us that Jesus returned to Galilee, leaving Nazareth, and he went and lived in Capernaum. Now, when you read that or you hear that tonight, you're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, okay, whatever, no big deal. He was in Troy. He moved to Rochester. Who cares, right? But see, if you read this verse and you take the time to open up Google, and you actually figure out what it is that they're talking about here, here's what you discover. This is where Herod has John the Baptist locked up in prison. It's on the top of a mountain in the very far southern part of the country, which is all desert, in a palace in a city called Machaerus, in the very, very far southern part of the country. And Matthew tells us that when Jesus heard about John being in prison, what does he do? He moves and he goes to Capernaum which is actually in the exact opposite direction of where John is at. Now, this is what it looks like in Capernaum. Jesus is at the beach. See, this is how you feel, isn't it? This is how I feel. We're in the desert, and we're convinced that Jesus has forgotten all about us, and that he's just hanging out at the beach someplace. And so John's disciples, they find Jesus in Capernaum, and they ask Jesus John's question. And John responds in verse 4, and Jesus says, Go and tell John, report to John what it is that you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, and those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. In other words, yes, John, you can continue to believe in me. And yes, John, I am the one. In fact, he tells John's followers, I want you to go and tell John about all the people I've healed and all the miracles that you've seen me perform. I want you to tell John that he can keep believing in me because of all the things that I am doing for everybody else. And there's my life. And there's your life. And see, the reason why I tell you all that is because when you're actually out in the desert someplace and you're wondering where Jesus is, Jesus can still love you. And Jesus can know exactly where you're at. And Jesus can remember your name. And Jesus cannot be any less active or love you any less. And yet you can still be in the desert. And so as John's disciples are about ready to leave, Jesus looks at them and he says, okay, there's one more thing 
that I need you to tell John in verse 6. Be sure and tell him. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the person who does not fall away on account of me. Now this is a powerful, powerful statement. Because in other words, what Jesus is saying is this. Listen, blessed is the one who does not interpret my silence as absence. Blessed is the one who, when I do certain things or when I don't do certain things, when I answer certain prayers or when I don't answer certain prayers, when I change circumstances or when I don't change circumstances, blessed is that person who trusts me and believes in me and follows me in spite of me. See, Jesus knew all about John the Baptist. And the truth is, your Heavenly Father knows all about you as well. And let me tell you why this is so important for us to understand and for us to remember. Because, see, your personal circumstances are not the way that you determine how it is that God actually feels about you. The proof of how it is that God feels about you is because of what it is that happened on the cross, not what's happening at home. Not what's happening at school. Not what's happening at work. Not what's happening with your kids. Not what's happening with your family. The proof that Jesus is greater than whatever it is that you're up against is the resurrection. Right? Because if death couldn't keep Jesus in the grave, then what you're up against at home isn't going to win. What you're up against at school, it isn't going to win. What you're up against at work, with your family, with your friends, it isn't going to win. Because listen, if this is your reality, right? If all there is in your life is sin and death and circumstance, those things are greater than or equal to your reality. If that's your world, then the truth is there is no hope. But Jesus, Jesus is greater than sin, death, or circumstance, and that means that Jesus is greater than then your life right now, that is why you can actually have hope in the midst of whatever circumstance you are facing today. Now listen, I understand how hard it is to remind yourself of this, but do not fall into the trap of letting your faith hang on what's gone your way lately. Right When you are in the middle of the desert, you need to hold on to this truth with every ounce of strength that you have. Because the natural temptation is for us to try to find God in the midst of our circumstance. And he is there and he is working. But the truth is, it is very difficult to actually see God at work when you're in the middle of the desert. And listen, I get it. I get it. I know this is not one of those, okay, I'm just so glad, Joe. So glad I went to church tonight. That's so fantastic. It's changed my life. You've made everything fit. I know it's all okay. Right? I get it. It's not one of those kind of sermons. Is it? But listen, tonight and just over the next couple of weeks together, I just want to help you understand. I just want to help create a new bucket for you, a new category for you, so that you understand that your unanswered prayer does not mean that God is uninterested. Because the truth is that you 
and John the Baptist have something in common. The truth is that you and some of the finest people who have ever walked this planet have something in common. You actually have something in common with people like C.S. Lewis, like Martin Luther, and like Billy Graham. Because God's silence is not evidence of absence, and his silence is not apathy. How do you know that? Because of the life of John the Baptist and so many other people throughout the course of history. There are seasons of life when God seems silent, but he is never absent. There are times when God seems inactive, but he is never inactive. And Jesus himself makes you this promise. Blessed is he, blessed is she, who does not fall away, who does not lose faith on account of me. Because Jesus is greater than whatever is happening in your life right now. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father, the truth is for us, as we're here tonight, as we think about those words as we think about our own circumstances or the circumstances of people that we love and that we care about, it's hard to imagine that you actually know all the details. It's hard to imagine that you know all of it. And yet the truth is, your ways are often a mystery to us. There are many times that we don't understand what you're doing. In fact, you tell us there will be times that we won't understand. And sometimes when we look back, we understand, and other times we don't. But whenever we're in the middle of the desert, Jesus, it is just so terribly confusing, and it's scary, and it's hard. And so, Father, my prayer for everyone who is here right now and is in the desert right now, I just pray that you would do what only you can do, and you strengthen their faith, that you would give to them hope, and Jesus, that you would remind them that you have not gone anywhere. In fact, Jesus, I pray that you would give to them a specific, a very tangible reminder that you actually know what's happening right now. Maybe that reminder is as simple as a hug from a friend. Maybe it's as simple as being here tonight and hearing the truth of this message. Maybe it's taking that Stephen's ministry card and actually saying, you know what, I think I need someone to walk along with me through what trials and difficulties I'm facing in life right now. Whatever it is, Jesus, I pray that you would do something to remind all of us here this evening that you really are greater, that you really are aware, and that you absolutely do care about every single one of us. All this we pray, Jesus, in your name. Amen.